Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Deadly Misunderstanding, Season 7, Episode 2, first aired September 23rd, 1990. And the IMDb summary reads, Jessica tries to exonerate a temporary employee accused of her husband's murder. Period. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there, there were two pieces of trivia, but both of them were uh, sad in nature. So <laughs> we're not going to do that. Uh, let's get into the returners. We have five of them and then we'll get into the episode. So first we have Lise. It's L-I-S-E, so I'm assuming it's Lise or Lise Cutter, and we will remember her as Tilly Bascom from Goodbye Charlie, season six, episode 12. In that episode, she was the wife who her and Brian Cranston, who played her quote unquote cousin, but they were kissing cousins, right? They had murdered her husband, but when the body was, when a body was found on the train tracks, they claimed that it was her husband when in fact they had murdered him and buried him in the backyard. So yeah, that was her. In this episode, she plays Melissa Maddox. Then we have Joe Dorsey and we will recognize him first as Harry Kingman, from Death Stalks the Big Top, season three, episode one and episode two. He was the rival, he owned the rival circus to the circus that Jessica's brother-in-law had, who had faked his own death. He was now a clown in the circus. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what he decided to do. Uh, definitely listen to that review because that those two episodes were wild. Okay. Next, we saw him as Doc Schaefer from Showdown in Saskatchewan, season four, episode twenty. And in that episode, he played a an intoxicate, an alcoholic doctor who ended up being murdered. Well, he was murdered in. <laughs> Death Stalks the Big Top too, by a former employee in Showdown in Saskatchewan, which was on the Rodeo. (laughs) No disrespect to people and their accents, the Rodeo Circuit. Um, He was a doctor, a disgraced doctor, but still had his license somehow, some way. And he ends up being murdered by a former prisoner that he had operated on and recognized his uh, x-rays, that prisoner who killed him happened to have escaped and have been on the run for six to 10 years. I forget how long, but a number of years and basically wore sunglasses all the time and grew his hair and beard and mustache out. And so he was unrecognizable, but also... Doc was an alcoholic, so his um, his vision and his memory were not great. 
However, it technically didn't affect his ability to recognize a set of x-rays, okay, and work that he had previously done. That part of his brain was still uh, accessible. Um, yeah, so there's that. In this episode, he plays Bennett Devlin, and he is now a Cabot Cover. He has just moved there. He runs the local newspaper, and he will be in, I think, two or three more Cabot Cove episodes. Next, we have Jeffrey Lewis, and we will recognize him as Lester Grimshaw from No Accounting for Murder, season three, episode 19. He was next played Kenny Oakes in Who Threw the Barbital in Mrs. Fletcher's Chowder, season four, episode 12. Now, I don't remember him as Lester Grimshaw in No Accounting for Murder. I barely remember that episode, so sorry, not sorry. But as Kenny Oakes, he was the husband of, let's get this right. So Amos's sister, Winnie, was married to... Yeah, I don't remember his name. <laughs> anyway, so she was married to her husband, who was the youngest son of the family. However, he ran their multiple pharmacies. Okay, he owned the family business and he was the CEO of their multiple locations, right? Now, he had a sister, Flo. Now, Flo was married to Kenny. So Kenny, he was responsible for, because Flo ran the makeup department. Their oldest brother, who's a half-brother, he ran the pharmacy. I forget what part of the business Kenny ran. But anyway, he he went out and he is the one who poisoned um what the heck was that man's name? I don't know. I don't even care to look it up. Okay. <laughs> don't nobody care. Um, but y'all know who I mean. Anyway, so he's the one who murdered Winnie's husband so that he would be the next in line to take over the business because that man's name was Elmo. Okay. <laughs> it just came to me. I promise I didn't look it up. That man, that grown man's name was Elmo. All right. Okay, so Elmo, <laughs> yeah, so Elmo had a drug problem, a barbital problem, a narcotics problem, an opioid addiction, right? So Kenny and the rest of the family have basically been running the drug stores, plural, because Elmo was always like high or angry, okay? So he was either violent or he was high and either way, not really ready to do any sort of business. So Kenny is like, ah, how about we just get rid of him? Then we don't have to worry about his violent outburst or 
this short time where he's sober and he makes illogical decisions. So he tried to help out, but you know, murdering somebody's not the answer. In this episode, he plays Hank Crenshaw. Now we have David McCallum and he, we will recognize him as Cyril Grantham from From Russia with Blood, season five, episode 13 where he was a double agent. So he was a spot, he was British, but he was spying for Russia, but he was also spying for Britain. Yeah, yeah, he was. And so the uh, KG, was he from? No, he was from the police because the KGB and the police are two separate organizations. So the inspector from the police was like, yeah, we just give him incorrect information. And Jessica's like, well, don't you think that's the same thing that the English are doing? And he's like, of course not. (laughs) He gives us correct information from them and we give him false information. (laughs) Sir, I, I would say... It's great that you're that delusional, but when it has to do with the safety of your fellow countrymen, um, yeah, that's not great to be that delusional. So in this episode, he plays Drew Garrison, and this is his last episode. Although I, this was not in the trivia, but when, you know, I check each of the actors to see if they've been in other Murder, She Wrote episodes either previous or to come, right? And so when I looked up David McCallum, who I'm a fan of from his CSI days. Yes, that's where I know him from, CSI. The original, ah, perfection. The original, CSI, honestly. Now CSI Miami, that is a super close second. Super close second. I don't know what it looks like now, but the originals of both regular CSI and then CSI Miami, Listen, listen, okay? (laughs) That was TV for you, okay? Unrealistic, the timeline, okay? That that false sense that everything had some scientific uh, answer to it, evidence, you know, the CSI effect. Watching that, great, Feel bad for those who have to try cases where they do not have forensic evidence because everybody is out here watching forensic files and the original CSI. But anyway, that's where I know him from. So anyway, I look him up and he passed away in September of this year, 2023, like just recently. I was going to say last month, but we are for real in November. So a month and a half ago. Yeah, a month and a half ago. It was the end of September. So rest in peace to David McCallum. Like, that's that's sad. So now back to not being sad in this episode. One last returner. So we have Cliff Potts. And we will recognize him. Well, maybe we won't. (laughs) And you'll see why in a second. As Sheriff Ed Potts, because why not, in Funeral at 50 Mile, season one, episode 21, which those of you who have been listening from the beginning 
whether from the actual beginning when I started in October of 2021 or way back when, or if you just started and have caught up to us now that I did not do a full review of that episode and I never will. So yeah, it was a very upsetting episode. And I don't like, Justice was was technically, like if we're talking about Outback Justice, that happened. Okay, that happened, but there were still, there were still unfinished, unhealed issues that were to come. So yeah, so that's why we might not recognize him from that. But in this episode, he plays Ralph Maddox. And this is actually his last Murder, She Wrote episode. Now I could have sworn he was in more than two episodes because he looked familiar, but I don't know if I'm just remembering him from other acting credits, which is very possible because I've had that happen before where I'm like, I'm sure this person has been on Murder, She Wrote before look up their IMDb listing and their, well, credits. And it's like, no girl, it's from something else. So those are the returners. Now we start out outside in Cabot Cove town proper. Okay. Downtown. And we see Jeff who is hanging up a sign with very small letters. Okay. I'm guessing Ben is just cheap because the sign is small. And if he was going to have a sign that small, it should have been under the awning, right? Because it should have been closer to, because no one's gonna see it up there. So it basically said Benjamin J, I think, whatever his middle initial is, Devlin, uh, publisher, right? And this is the office to the local Cabot Cove Gazette, right? Cabot Cove newspaper. And he has just come there. He was previously, we find out in this episode, previously a writer for the Washington Post. He is a Pulitzer Prize winner. And he has decided that he is going to, I use this term loosely, settle in Cabot Cove because he's running the local newspaper. And it's just him And Jeff, Jeff is his only writer there, okay? So he's not retired, he's just taking a step back. But writing a newspaper is much more responsibility than, I don't wanna say just being a writer on the Washington Post, but you're only responsible for your stories, unless you're the editor, then obviously you're responsible to edit, you know, multiple writer stories. But there's always somebody checking you to check them and to check them and to check them. There's fail safes here is just you're the first, last and only because Jeff is very new. I don't know if he has a degree in journalism or writing or what. Okay, but for someone who looks like a cool 28 years old, he does come across as this is his first real job. Maybe he wrote on his college newspaper and then had some other job in between. And now it, this is his first opportunity to actually work within his degree as a journalist. So yeah, but they're hanging the sign 
and Melissa Maddox walks by and Jeff is obviously taken by her. He's like, hi, Melissa, because she's just walking on mind of her business. He's on a ladder. So he's above her. She she's not paying no attention. She ain't say hi to nobody. Okay, Ben is standing right outside the door. She's just walking down the street, not making eye contact with anyone. Now, this is Cabot Cove. Now, if it was New York City, I'd be like, of course, you're not making eye contact with people because they could be crazy. <laughs> like, not for nothing. You don't want to start nothing. So you're not making eye contact with anybody or looking too long in their direction. Okay. But this is Cabot Cove. This is downtown Cabot Cove on a beautiful morning. And you're not even like, hey, Susie, how you doing? Hey, hey, Tom. How are those potato how are those potato plants coming along? You know, something. No, she's just in her head. And Jeff is like, oh, hi, Melissa. So she turns and she looks up, which I'm like, you could tell that he was above you? Okay, okay, girl. Anyway, so she turns and looks up and she's like, oh, hi, Jeff. And then walks away, right? She don't even acknowledge Ben, who's standing on the other side of the ladder on the ground, same level as her. And Jeff is just in his daydreaming at this point. So the next scene, we're at Jessica's house. And we find out that Melissa is a typist. Now, she's obviously not good at this. And we'll see that she's not good at this because... Jessica is exasperated with her. Okay, and we're getting to that in a second. So Jessica is at home and she is on the phone like, yeah, it should be ready by Friday. I know I I have somebody who's here helping me to type, right? So I should be able to get the manuscript edited and typed up and out to you Friday. Okay, I have no idea what day of the week this is. At all. Okay. They don't tell us what day of the week any of this is happening. Okay. So she gets off the phone and she goes to get more coffee and she's trying to do it on a sneak tip. So Melissa doesn't get distracted, but Melissa who is typing super, not one finger slow, but close to that. Okay. But she feels Jessica's presence because she clearly does where she the way she's turned she can't see her but she feels Jessica's presence (laughs) I'm like Jessica you probably have either she can smell your soap your perfume your shampoo you know (laughs) hear the rustle of your sweater something okay you can feel the presence of another person okay when they come into the room like it's just (laughs) Okay, but Jessica thought she was going to just sneak in, get her coffee as if she wouldn't hear her pouring coffee at the very least. But Melissa then decides to take a break. Okay, and we see in a minute that she's only typed like three or four pages, three or four pages for a novel. Okay, and you know, these novels are probably 250 to 300 pages. Okay, and she's typed up three to four front sheets of paper, okay, on the typewriter. Now, I don't understand if she is not comfortable with a typewriter, right? Why would she not go to, I don't know, the library if she doesn't have a computer at home? 
go to the library, type it all up within the quietness of and the privacy of the library computer section, which in 1990s probably, you know, pretty safe in Cabot Cove. Do that. And it's Jessica. Jessica could easily call up the library like, hey, reserve a computer for my typist. And they would do that. Okay. So she could have went to the library, typed this situation up, printed each page, and then came over to Jessica to give them to her so Jessica could edit while the other already edited (laughs) documents would be typed up by Melissa. But no, she's in there tip tap tapping away on the typewriter. And then it's like, oh my goodness, like, did you get this in an antique store? It's so old. I'm like, how are you disrespecting? Like, if you can't work on it, you should have said, I'm a typist, but I'm very not, I'm not comfortable typing on a typewriter, which is very different than typing on the keyboard of a PC or a laptop, right? Yeah, you should have just said, I'm more comfortable on the keyboard of a PC. So let's work out an alternative to this because I honestly don't need to be sitting up in your house. If you give me the pages, I can go elsewhere, okay? Anyway, so then she wants to have a whole chit chat with Jessica who just wants to get her coffee and go back to editing the other pages so that Melissa can actually start typing so that they can get the manuscript done by Friday. So Melissa is complaining about her husband and she tells her that she tells Jessica that she's in an adult creative writing course and she gives Jessica a copy of her short story and asks her if she can read it and see if it's any good. Jessica is like, oh, great. No, she don't, she don't say no. Of course she don't say no, because it's Jessica. She's like, well, I, I can't do anything until the manuscript is mailed out. So yeah, okay, <laughs> get to typing. So then Melissa's like, oh my God, look at the time. I have to get home because if Ralph gets home and dinner's not on the table, he's gonna have a fit. So she leaves. So she leaves and Jessica is like, uh, girl, what? She's like, I'll be here early. I'll be here tomorrow. And she's like, please come early. We have to get the manuscript out by Friday. And Melissa's like, oh, okay. And leaves. At this point, Jessica picks up what has been typed and it looks like it's three to four sheets of paper. Okay. Just a whole mess. And my thing is like, Not for nothing. I know this was in California, but she really needs uh, David Tolliver back. Okay, because he, okay, he was creepy as all get out. Just creepy as all get out, right? But he was an excellent typist, okay? He not only, well, he was a good assistant secretary, administrative assistant, whatever you want to call him. Okay. Cause he was taking messages. He could, was it text type, touch type. Um, he also was able to take, does that mean the same thing? Like when someone speaks and you type what they say as they're speaking, is that touch type, whatever he could do all of that. 
quickly and efficiently. Now, I would say he he isn't hard on the eyes, but he's creepy. So technically, he is. <laughs> anyway, so she ain't got, Melissa is nowhere near David Tolliver, okay? She's not creepy. She's annoying. She's annoying, but she she's not creepy and she's definitely not, I can't, I would not pay her real money. You can't tell me. I, now, I don't know how long she'd been working for Jessica. I don't know when the accident that caused Jessica to break her arm occurred. Okay. They don't tell us that. We don't get to see uh, any information here or see any information about that. Right. But I'm like, if this is, let's assume this is not even day one and you have only put together three to four typed pages, I would fire you. Like, I understand she's desperate, but like, I would go to the local college because they do have adult, you know, or the YMCA, um, if they don't have a local community college, I would go to the YMCA or wherever that creative writing class is. I would see if they had whoever was teaching the typing course, because I'm sure they probably have that as well. Probably a typing class for PCs, because in 1990, we were definitely learning how to type on a PC keyboard, you know, that type of situation. No, touch type is when you don't have to look at the keyboard. Like, yeah, so that mm, different thing. Anyway, so yeah, my mind once it's on something else, it, it will backtrack on its own. But so I'm sure there was an adult class in town to teach people how to type. So there had to be someone who taught that class. Jessica should have called that person up or called the librarian up to be like, hey, do you know anybody who can help me out? Or when she spoke with Ben Devlin, I, I wouldn't ask him to do it, but I would be like, do you know somebody from you know, back in the day, maybe someone helped you, you know, type your stuff up. Can you, can I, can you, can I borrow Jeff? Like, is he able to type quickly (laughs) something? This is terrible. This is my reputation on the line here. I'm trying to get this work done. So anyway, so Melissa has left and she's gone home. And in the interim, there's a time jump, clearly, because she's home and there, well, I can't say there's a time jump. She might have purchased this at the store, but she has, she's home reading a book. She's home reading a book. She's home reading a book waiting for her husband to get home. And she had to leave early so that she would have dinner on the table. Dinner's not on the table. Dinner's not even in the oven. And she's sitting there reading a book when she could have asked Jessica if she could take the typewriter home. And while she waited for her husband, she could have been typing. Okay? Now, I understand a work-life balance back in the 90s is very different than a work-life balance back in, in now in 2023. But you're telling me that you couldn't do this work at home while you were sitting there just flipping through a, a, 
a book when Jessica is desperate to get her manuscript out and you aren't even doing the work that you're going to be paid for? What is your hourly rate? I would pay by page. You are not getting paid hourly nothing. I'm paying you 10 cents a page, okay? So you you better get it together. You better get it together. I'm not paying 10 cents a page. That That's outrageously low. But honestly, I'm paying per page because clearly you need a fire lit under you to actually get any type of realistic work done. I told you this woman just annoys me. Just... And we haven't even gotten to the real annoying part of this, okay? She's just a terrible employee. And I feel bad for Jessica that she's stuck in this situation. You know, I don't know how much Jessica had already gotten done before her accident, but the way she was looking at those three or four pages, she was, it don't seem like she only needed three or four pages typed. So Melissa's sitting in her home, flipping through, reading a book when Ralph comes home. And he's like, "Um, so yeah, where's dinner? And she looks up and she's like, there's a quiche Lorraine in the refrigerator. Homegirl said it's in the refrigerator. In the refrigerator. Girl, it's not, why, why'd you go home early? Why did you go home early? Because if you bought that at the store and came home, you didn't even put it in the oven. You ain't even heat the oven up. You didn't leave it out so it could get a little bit closer to room temperature. So you could put it in the oven. You should be pulling it out the oven when homeboy is pulling up to the house. Because if you had to leave your job early, and if you had made it from scratch, then it wouldn't be in the refrigerator. It would be sitting on the counter. That's what I don't understand. Like, the, it don't make no sense. How you a housewife and you not housewifing? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> See, this is why Jessica couldn't know all this. Because I surely would be like, you are fired. You're going to tell me that you got to get home to make dinner for your husband and have it on the table for when he get home. And you don't even have it heated up. Nothing. Not not room temperature. Not fresh baked. It's in the refrigerator. And you probably didn't even pick it up that day. I promise you she didn't pick it up that day. You just came home, kicked your feet up, and got you a book. Like you ain't got no job, girl. Just a whole, just a whole mess. So... He's like, what type of food is that? And she's like, I'm concerned about your cholesterol. Now, not for nothing, but um, eggs are high in cholesterol. Although there are studies who are, that are like, eggs are cool, but don't have too many, but don't have too many of anything really. Um, so you thought that instead of maybe like a salmon situation, because they're in Maine, you know, you can get a seafood situation uh, and a green salad, you know, a good fibrous salad on the side that like that, that wasn't going to help. But a quiche, what was going on? This, did you have a salad for the side of that? Like what's going on with this quiche? 
girl, I don't, anyway, so he's, he's not enthused by this and they, they get into an argument and he storms off. I'm like, clearly this man is like 48 years old and she's probably 28 to 32. Now I have no idea how these people would have met. Now he owns a lumber yard and they have a very large house. Clearly she got with him for money. Now she is a, a very pretty girl. Well, woman. Okay. We, we all grown here. She's a pretty woman. She's, she's on the, she looks delicate and like she needs to be taken care of, but she seems very earthy and, and stuff like that. But I don't understand how he, how, how did y'all even meet? Like, did you work for him? I couldn't see her working in no lumber yard, even answering the phone. That girl looked like she ain't ever have a real job in her life. Does he know her father? Is he that much older than her? Maybe he knows her father and the father hooked her up and was like, listen, you need somebody to take care of you because you ain't got the sense God gave you. Okay, so you need somebody who's going to take care of you and you won't have to work. Yeah, I'm going with that. I'm going with that. Uh, Ralph knows her father uh, or her mom. Her mom could have been out with a job uh, and that that's how they met. And um, it was like, yeah, she, yeah, she can't get with somebody her own age unless they're like independently wealthy because this girl ain't got the sense God gave her. Okay. She needs somebody to take care of her. Um, Yeah. Cause she ain't, she can't get no job. She ain't, she ain't got sense enough for a real job. We're going to send her to school. So she has some sort of skill. Uh, to keep herself busy, but she, she ain't going to be, uh, there's no doctor for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She can't, she can't teach nobody either. She can't go out there and be a teacher. She can't be, no. she definitely can't be nobody's nurse or doctor at uh, Jesus. Um, yeah. So they really set their daughter up to be, uh, a housewife who clearly don't want to be out here housewifing. Because I'm like, girl, you ain't, you ain't got dinner on the table. <laughs> like you have one job. Y'all ain't got no kids. You got one job and you ain't even doing that well. Not for nothing. Ralph is a terrible person. So not only that, like maybe that's her form of rebellion. You know, she's like, I'm stuck in this marriage. And he is, you know, a terrible person. He out here sleeping with any and everybody. Well, actually he had like one, he had one girlfriend for some time. It don't seem like he was sleeping around like that. But once he got, once that broke up, he was looking for the next one. So he was always going to have another person, another woman uh, to answer whatever needs that uh, Melissa wasn't trying to deal with. Okay. Uh, so I was like, I don't, it's, like he don't look like he go to like business meetings and stuff like that where he would need to have like a beautiful woman on his arm. I don't even, this relationship don't make no sense to me. They don't even like each other. How did we get here? We ain't never gonna know. Anyway, so the next scene, we're in the adult creative writing class and Jeff is part of this class as well as Melissa. And so 
Professor Garrison, we'll call him Drew, he is reading from one of the students' assignments. And we find out that it's Jeff's assignment. He doesn't announce it in the class. It's anonymous in the class. But Jeff reveals that it's his to Melissa outside, right? And the other class, most, I think that two or three people in the class make comments that they don't like it. I'm like, don't nobody care. Y'all, what's your regular jobs? There's somebody's grandmother there who is knitting. Like, girl. <laughs> Ma'am, are you really back there knitting in class? Like, I understand he reading a story. But anyway, this, I, I did some classes in community college. And I promise you it was nothing like this. Nothing like this. Because everybody had a day job or something to do during the day. And we came here to learn, get this grade and keep it pushing. All right. Like, I don't, don't be talking about what this man done read. Okay. Because, you know, it's one of these people you staring right in the face. Talking about, I, you know, I, I don't like this. It blah, blah, whatever. Like, don't nobody care what you think for real. He liked it. And he's the person who's giving the grade. So, Keep your mouth shut because we need to get out of here on time. You just taking up time in class. <laughs> There's always one. Clearly, there were at least two in this class. So they're leaving. Melissa asks Drew if he's read her story. And he's like, no, I haven't gotten a chance to, but I'll, I'll read it soon. And he drives off. Jeff catches up with her, and this is when Jeff tells her that that was his story and asks if she would like to go out for a cup of coffee so they can talk about uh, writing. Yeah. So she's like, oh, okay, fine. I don't, you know, I have some time. If it's, if it's going to be quick, I have some time before my husband's coming home from work because he stays late at the lumber yard on the nights that she has class. So they go to the diner for a cup of coffee and conversation. So the next morning we're in town and Jessica, who has a sling on her arm and that's why she needs a typist, bumps into Drew and his wife, Rita. And so Rita's like, oh, you know, how, how are you getting along with the broken arm? I'm sorry to hear about it. I've read about it in the paper this morning. And Jessica's like, I did too. And <laughs> that's why I'm in town to, to deal with this. But she's like, I'm fine. I have, um, and Drew said, oh, one of my students is helping you out, typing for you. And she's like, oh yes, Melissa, blah, 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 whatever. So Drew seems to be coming down with a cold. He's like, well, it's supposed to rain and my sinuses confirm it. Like usually <laughs> that's the first. That is definitely a first. I have definitely heard and experienced, um, oh, it's rain. It's going to rain or it's going to be really cold. It's like, oh, I can feel it in my joints, right? That I've heard. I have heard that and low key experienced it once or twice. Okay, not even going to lie. Not even going to lie. You ain't even got to be old to, to experience like, oh, there's going to be a change in the weather. My niece said there's going to be a change in the weather. But apparently he gets cold, like his sinuses act up when it's going to rain. I don't know. There must be something with the pollen count or the uh, whatever. So that that's that's how he know. 
Not in his joints, but in his sinuses. So they part ways and Jessica goes to the paper. Now, before she gets there, Ben is going over a story that Jeff has written and is telling him to move things around, et cetera, et cetera. Because he, he is mentoring Jeff so that he can become a better newspaper man, right? So Jeff goes to his desk, which is, it's right outside, right, of Ben's office. Jessica comes in and she is visibly upset. Like she is getting more upset as she is talking about this because she's embarrassed. So she got into a bike accident. I don't know exactly the nature of it because we don't, we don't get to read the story, right? Or see the headlines. But she fell off her bike and ended up like ripping the knee out of her pants and breaking her arm. And the newspaper ran a two column second page article about it. And Ben is like, well, you are a local celebrity. Well, more than a local celebrity, you're a celebrity. It's newsworthy. And we write about newsworthy things. And she's like, it's nobody's business. And where'd you get all these details? He's like, are there any incorrect facts? She's like, no, but it's nobody's business. And you can see like, she's tearing up a little bit because that's like, all of us have been in a situation, not that has been broadcast like this, hopefully. Now, thankfully I haven't, but more so now it's more concerning. But all of us have like slipped and fallen on ice, whether black ice, regular ice, snow, and you didn't know that there was a whole thick old layer of ice underneath, or just regular walking down the street and your foot was like, not today. And <laughs> caused you to trip over your own feet. It'd be your own feet sometimes. And the first thing you do, once you've pulled yourself together, if you've hit the ground, like once you've popped back up as quickly as you, your body will allow you to, you look around to see if anybody saw you, okay? Because it's, you don't feel the pain, okay? You're gonna feel the pain when you get wherever you're gonna get, or sometimes you don't. And then by the time you get home, you, you see that your stockings got ripped a little bit and you didn't, <laughs> you didn't notice or there was a little blood under it and, you know, that you actually scraped your knee or you're hurt more than you thought, whatever. But in the moment, you don't feel none of that because there's adrenaline and, you know, all of that keeping you calm. Well, not keeping you calm, but keeping you from feeling the pain, right? But the... The fear of someone having seen that is probably more overpowering than anything. Because even if I wasn't hurt, if I looked up and there were three people staring out of their house window, watching what had happened, I would be mortified. Okay, I don't care if I, <laughs> I got enough, I got, I got enough extra to, to take a fall, okay, <laughs> and be all right. But I would be absolutely mortified. So I could not imagine that happening. And now in 2023, that being on TikTok for millions upon millions of people to talk about, judge, laugh at, and, 
you know, just for the world to see. But in 1990, in the small Cabot Cove of 3,550 people population, that everybody of reading age has gotten this and has read this story and found out about a fall that was not my fault at all. But it's very embarrassing to find to have all these people know the intimate details of a fall that I took that caused me to be injured when it's nobody's business. Okay, I don't care if, you know, it's, well, I would say Beyonce, but it's Beyonce. But I'm sure even someone like that, I'm sure she's tripped in, you know, on one of their massive estates. And like, if it wasn't just Jay-Z and her kids who saw her, she'd be like, this is embarrassing. You know, it doesn't matter who you are or how frequently you are in front of people. But this is this is devastating. Jessica is not necessarily a private person, but she's a private person. You know, she's not spreading her business at Loretta's beauty salon. Now she getting information, she getting the gossip, but she is not giving her own business. She ain't out here like Eve Simpson talking about the people she done slept with or she trying to sleep with, okay? She ain't out here giving her business like that. So for this to end up in the newspaper, and she's like, this isn't even news. This is just an embarrassing situation that happened. And you're telling me that you you filled up two columns with these details and you didn't even take the time to give a home, give me a call to give me a heads up or to give me a choice about whether this was gonna be in the paper to see how this would affect me, which is 100% true. And my thing is, Ben would have been dead to me. We we wouldn't have nothing else to talk about. I don't care if you, before I told you this, I, bigged up, I gave you a big up about being a writer for the Washington Post, being a Pulitzer Prize winner. You doing all that and then you writing two columns about me falling off my bike and being injured? I think it really was like her taking out the knee of her favorite pair of pants. I think that's what the extra detail that really set her off. I think, because I would be like, yo, did you really need to go in like that? No, you didn't. So why did you? Do you not like me? So yeah, so yeah, we wouldn't, after that conversation, I would have left and been like, don't lose my number, okay? If you thought that there would be any interview, any uh, series, any anything from me to assist with this newspaper, that went out the window when you thought that this was more important and more newsworthy to put in there about my embarrassment than to actually call me up or put real news in it. So anyway, we then go to the diner where Ralph is picking up food or he ate there. I don't know. He's talking to Trudy, who is the waitress and they're flirting a bit, which he got a whole wife that lives in town. So, okay, girl, that don't look good for either of you. And Mort is just sitting eating pie, like seven seats down from this happening at the register. So then Hank chimes in 
because Hank apparently had borrowed some money from Ralph and no, 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 he didn't borrow money. He purchased material, building material because Ralph owns a lumber yard, building material from Ralph, I guess on credit. The building material was of inferior quality and Hank ended up losing his job at the bakery. And as soon as he lost his job at the bakery, Ralph started foreclosure proceedings because I'm guessing that Hank used his home as collateral. It was probably building material to make improvements or remodel or an addition to his home. And so Ralph like grabs Hank up by the collar and it's like basically you need to pay your bills you don't pay your bills then you lose stuff and so more is like listen y'all two calm down because honestly I want I don't want to have to arrest both of y'all for disturbing my piece of pie and so Ralph lets Hank go Hank walks back to because he's the the cook or whatnot at the diner so he walks back towards the kitchen which is all open it's all open because it's a diner, think of Waffle House where you can see them cooking. He turns around and he was like, Ralph, don't think that's the end of this. You, this isn't the last time you'll see me. Something to that effect. He, he yells out a threat. And Mort is like, Hank, you, you better calm it down because you out here making these threats in front of the sheriff. So Ralph walks out. So the next scene, we are at the school and there is a note on the board that says, due to illness, the class is canceled. So Jeff is reading the sign or the note when Melissa walks in. No other classmates are there. I'm guessing that maybe they were running late and the other classmates had gotten there early and read the sign um, and perhaps called others that they may have known in the class or had numbers for in the class. And gave them the heads up because nobody else is there, nor does anybody walk in while they're there. So Melissa's like, oh, great. This is a, a waste of a night. Ralph is working late at the lumber yard. And I'm like, so your aggressive, mean-spirited husband is at the lumber yard late. Meaning that your house is empty and you can go to your house and you can read in peace. You can watch TV in peace. You can sit and stare out the window in peace. And none of those are appealing to you. Or, you know, what's crazy, you know, it's real wild, real, you know, you could have called up Jessica and asked her if you could come over and start typing so you could actually do uh, something worth being paid for. But that's crazy. That, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. So Jeff was like, well, we can study together. What are y'all studying together? It's a creative writing club. Okay, girl. So he says he wrote a new story and he'd like her to read it. So Melissa's like, oh, well, I don't want to return back to that big empty house. Why? 
Is it haunted? Because if it's not haunted, girl, why? Why? Do you know how peaceful that house must be without just that aggressive, unhappy spirit of your husband? Just lurking in the hall? Girl, I don't know. you. Well, she don't know joy in her life. So <laughs> why am I surprised that she would not take advantage of peace when she clearly lives a miserable life? So <laughs> she don't know happiness. So they go, Jeff is like, well, we can go to my place. Now, he, what he didn't mention, right? Now, now we can go to the library and get a room, okay? Well, I know the libraries around, the libraries around here, they have, or at the school, like, cause that place had a chalkboard. So it seems like maybe it's like a YMCA or, or maybe even town hall, but has classrooms in it. So you're telling me that y'all couldn't just stay in the classroom to read this story? You're going to go to Jeff's house because that's appropriate. Girl, he has a studio apartment. Okay, it's not like he you go into his house or even an apartment that has a living room or something, even though like, girl, it's a small town and you got a whole husband that everybody knows. Okay, but you you go to his house and he has a studio apartment. You're sitting on his bed. He's sitting in a chair reading the story that's clearly about you and your insufferable husband and Jeff wanting to take you away from him, but you not being able to or wanting to leave your husband for whatever reasons. That's the underlying subtext to this. Okay. That that's the, this is the adaptation of the real story that's going on here. And she's like, Oh, that's so sad. Blah, blah, whatever, whatever. She was like, Oh, I wish my husband was dead. I feel so trapped. And (laughs) Jeff is like, why don't you leave him? And she was like, and what support myself with the salary of a part-time typist? She ain't even a good typist. girl. So you, you're with him for financial security. That's why I think like her father or uncle or somebody in the family patriarchy knew him and that's how they, you know, and married her off to him for security, financial security. But you know, if you divorce him and you ain't have no job, it's a good chance that you would have to, he would have to pay you alimony and you could get a studio. Homegirl probably ain't got no credit. She probably couldn't get no, get nothing in her name anyway. So yeah, she, she legitimately is probably trapped. Okay. But she's, so Jeff is just like, okay. Like now I don't know what type of money he making. Like I said, he, he is, I don't even know if it's a, I can't even say it's a studio apartment because we didn't see the whole thing. He may be renting a room in somebody's house. Okay. He may be renting a room in somebody's house and that it's just a large room. So he can have a decent sized bed, um, a closet, a chair, you know, a chair, a reading chair situation. 
But anyway, so she says this, he's now sitting next to her on the bed, trying to comfort her. And then he goes in to kiss her, which clearly he misreads the whole situation, right? But he's not so far off in, homegirl is sitting on his bed and she like puts her head on his shoulder like, oh my goodness, like my husband's terrible. My life is miserable. I can't do anything about it. I feel trapped. I wish he was dead. And so he's like, okay, so clearly she likes me. <laughs> and he goes in for the kiss. You know, she she's not, now she's not leading into him in that way. He kisses her and she, I'm telling you, her lips were solidly closed. Okay, it was the most awkward kiss ever. And she's like, well, okay, look at the time I gotta go. I gotta get home before my husband gets home. okay. And as she's leaving, Jeff apologizes. And she's like, what are you apologizing for? Um, kissing you when you did not want to be kissed? That that part? Because yikes. But she was like, you've been very sweet. And, you know, if things were different, and then she doesn't finish that sentence and she walks out. So the next scene, it's the next morning. And Jessica... No, I'm sorry. It's 10 o'clock at night. And Jessica is sitting there making edits when the phone rings and it's Ben. And he asked her out for dinner. And she's like, I told you I can't do nothing until my manuscript gets mailed out. And so he's like, that's ridiculous. You have to eat anyway. I'm like, it's different being at home, making a bowl of cereal, a bowl of soup, you know, he and something that, well, I don't think they had microwaves. Like, I don't think Jessica was out here with a microwave like that, like that. But you know what I mean? Like grabbing something at the store that you could just throw in the oven, eat real quick and keep it moving. Not sit down, have an appetizer, have a drink, have an entree, dessert, coffee or tea after that. That is a whole to do. That's a hot two hours. Okay. A hot two hours of your time when if I put the oven on while I'm waiting for it to heat up, if it's something I just need to throw in, then I can do work. Then when the oven beeps because it's finished preheating, put my food in, set the timer, go back to work, okay? Then when the timer comes off, uh, goes off, then sit down, eat, let it digest, wash the dishes, and then get back to work. But anyway, she was like, well, I do have to run some errands tomorrow, so how about breakfast? So he was like, all right, 8 a.m., I'm an early riser. I'm like, sir, breakfast at 8 is not early like that, but okay. So Ben is like, you know what? Um, It's even if we get into an argument, I'm going to let you win at least one argument. Even no matter how weak your points are, I'm like, I don't like Ben. I don't, I really don't like him. I don't know. I'm guessing that Seth, who's not in this episode, they talk about him. Now, I don't know if he was taping something else. I don't know if he was still in contract negotiation. I don't know if he was recovering from something um, so that he was unavailable to tape at the time this was taping. But I think he is supposed to fill in 
for Seth, right? Because we have Mort, but someone who can actually be with Jessica and talk through some of the, you know, when the crimes happen and and stuff like that. But I don't know, because he's a newcomer. He does not know the Cabot Cove people. I don't know. I don't... I don't like him. And he low-key is, he's definitely low-key sexist. I don't, when he said, like, no matter how weak your points are, like, I don't, on the one hand, he has a respect for Jessica as a writer because she's obviously accomplished and that can't be denied. But he also seems like he thinks he's smarter than her. I don't know. I don't like him, but we're stuck with him for a few episodes. Thankfully, not in a row. So we then see Melissa calling Jeff and asking him to come over. She says there's been an accident. And so he's like, okay, I'm on my way. She hangs up the phone. The camera then pans over and we see that Ralph is dead on the ground with a pair of scissors sticking out of his chest, okay? The blood is clearly dried. Okay, remember that. The blood is dry. Okay, we're dry. So Jeff finally makes it over there and they're over, Melissa and Jeff are over Ralph's body. And he was like, oh, was this self-defense? Did he hit you? She was like, no, I found him like this. He must have interrupted a burglar or a robber. And so Jeff is like, oh my goodness, we have to call the sheriff. And Melissa's like, no, they'll think I killed him just the same way you thought I killed him. But you, girl, they would also assume that you did it in self-defense. So, anyway, but then we can have this episode, right? So she says it would be better if he was found at the lumber yard. And so Jeff is like, you mean move him? She's like, yes. You know, so it looks like the, he interrupted a robber at the lumber yard. And Jeff is like, we need to just tell the truth. I'd be like, you need to tell the truth. I'm getting the hell out of here because like, I don't know what you think this is, but that's a whole dead body. And that's your husband, okay? And they're going to be, no, I'm not part of this. No, because girl, I'm calling the police because I don't want you to call the police after I left and then you're trying to blame it on me, okay? No, we calling the police together. That's what we're going to do, 911 or whatever the area code is. At calling the sheriff's department directly. But that he don't do that because he ain't got no sense neither. But he's in love. That's why he ain't got no sense. He ain't thinking straight because he he just in love. Uh it's not reciprocal, but you know, he don't realize that at this point. So Melissa's like, tell them the truth. The truth that an hour ago I was at your place kissing you. That's not true. He kissed you. But on your bed. They're going to think that we did this together. I mean, like, the reason they're going to think we did this together is because you're dumb behind calling me over here with a dead body in your living room. Now, you need to call and say that you did this in self-defense 
and you called me because you were scared and I was the only person you could trust and think of at the time, okay? And this is why they should have went to the library. People would have saw them. You go into his apartment where people can't see you in his apartment or if they see you going in, they thinking, oh, well, he's stepping out too. So girl, get yours where you can get it. So like, anyway, so she, she's like, you're the only person I can trust. I really need your help. So then we fast forward to Ralph wrapped up in a rug or a blanket or a sheet, something to that effect. And Jeff carrying him out. And Melissa's like, no, put him in his own trunk. And so Jeff has to go alone to drive him to the lumber yard so no one sees them together. Dump his body and then return with the car because he can't return with the car. He has to. Okay. This, this doesn't make sense. He can't drive the car back because Ralph needs to be at the same place his car is. Right? So the car can't come back to the house. So you're going to tell me that instead of you waiting, Melissa, 20 minutes and going to drive what's his, Jeff's car, not to the lumber yard, but someplace close enough that Jeff could walk to, pop the trunk, Jeff gets in the front, you get in the trunk so they don't see you together, okay? And drive back close to your house, you get out of the trunk on some side street where there's nobody's house or whatever, and walk to your house. Like, how did he get from the lumberyard? Because the lumberyard seems to be out of town. But okay, fine. So he makes it back to the house somehow, some way. To Jeff makes it back to the house somehow, some way. To get his car. And the car has bloody, rat, bloody uh, sheets in the back. From where they wrapped Ralph's body up. And he forgets to dispose of it. Now you telling me, Melissa, that while he was gone dumping your husband's body, you couldn't have taken that trash bag, walked a good mile, and disposed of it? You had all this time. What were you doing? She was sitting there reading a book. That's what that's what she was doing. Reading a book. That's what she was doing because she ain't got no sense. Anyway, so the next scene, we see Jeff pulling up. Well, no, before we see Jeff pulling up to the lumber yard, we see Hank throwing gasoline or kerosene. I think it's gasoline, though, all over the lumber yard, the outside. And he's light. He lit a match. And before he can throw the match, he sees headlights in the near in the distance. So he goes to hide, but he's able to see what's happening. And it's Jeff who is pulling up in Ralph's car, gets out, gets Ralph out of the trunk, leaves his body right next to the car. And that's how the scene ends. We see 
Hank watching this happen. So the next scene, we're at the diner. The next morning, Jessica and Ben are finishing up their breakfast together. And Ben is like, I've read some of your stuff and you really have an eye for detail. Have you ever considered being a journalist? And she's like, I'm very happy being a mystery writer. And they go back and forth about like a writer is a writer, blah, blah, blah. So the next scene, we're at the lumber yard and Mort and Floyd are talking. Floyd has the gas canister and he's like, do you think that he was using the gasoline in here to clean off his greasy hands? And Mort was like, no, it's more likely that he caught someone attempting to set the lumber yard on fire when he was then murdered. And Floyd was like, well, who would want to burn down the lumber yard? And Mort says, Hank is at the top of the list. You know, I, I'm going to look into that, but I have to notify Ralph's wife, Melissa, right? So the next scene, we're at the diner and some random Cabot Covian comes in to tell Trudy that Ralph was found murdered at the lumberyard. So Hank hears that in the background. Trudy turns to look at him. Now, Trudy is wearing some sunglasses. Now, they those are some bad sunglasses, but they are huge. It's like, girl, you, you couldn't even use makeup. She has a black eye. You couldn't even use makeup to cover that up. You wearing those big, I got hit in the face eyeglasses. Like, I know you got to go to work because you, you get paid only when you're at work. You don't have that sick time or anything like that. I get that. But you got those telltale sunglasses on inside. You working the whole shift like that? Girl, that's terrible. Like, anyway, so they, they exchange looks, but spoiler alert, neither one of them murdered Ralph. But Trudy is looking at Hank because she was like, you threatened him in front of the police. So now he dead. How am I supposed, like, if he gone, who gonna replace you? <laughs> you better start looking for a replacement. That's what that look was. You better find a replacement because you going to prison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So the next scene, we're at Jessica's and Melissa is just staring at a sheet of paper. Okay. She's not typing or anything. She's just sitting at the typewriter staring to the side when Jessica walks in and she's like, are you okay, girl? And she's like, oh, I'm just a little distracted because Ralph didn't come home last night. And Jessica's like, is that normal? Like, is that how he do? Because like, listen, what I heard. Okay. <laughs> Did you call the mistress up to see if she was, if he was spending the night there? She ain't say that, but that's what she meant. Um, so, so Jessica was like, well, uh, like what happened? And so Melissa said, well, my class was canceled last night. So I went home, which was not true, took some sleep, sleeping pills and went to bed early. So Jessica said, well, maybe he came in after you went to sleep and left before you woke up. And so then there's a knock on the door. And it's Mort 
and he notifies Melissa that Ralph was found stabbed to death at the lumber yard and it appears to be a robbery gone wrong. And so he asked, were there any threats made to Ralph? And Jessica says, yes. And so Mort was like, is there anybody in particular? And she says, yes, Hank um, had threatened him because Ralph had foreclosed on him for non-payment for uh, building materials. And so Mort then asks, is there anyone who did Hank ever say anything about burning down Ralph's business? And Jessica's like, attempted arson? And Melissa says, yes, he said he would burn down the business. And Jessica was like, did you, did he ever report this to the sheriff? <laughs> Mort's like, uh, no, he did not. <laughs> but, you know, that, that makes sense after what I saw at the diner the other day. Now, mind you, when Mort tells Melissa that her husband was found murdered, she, she's a terrible actor. Like, I don't, I don't think she is a terrible actor. I don't think the actress is a terrible actor, but she was supposed to act terribly, which she accomplished because not a tear in her eye. She looks shocked, but it doesn't, her eyes are just open wide. She's not actually shocked, right? And Mort picks this up immediately. Okay, now I understand people take news differently or whatnot, but he picks this up. I didn't think Jessica picked this up the way she was acting towards Melissa, but she did pick it up as well. We find out uh, later on in the episode that she caught that too, that how strange it was when she was told about this. Like she wasn't crying. She was pretending to be upset, okay? And she's like, oh my gosh, poor Ralph. I told him it was dangerous staying there late at night by himself. Oh my gosh. Like, I, you know, poor Ralph. And Mort was like, girl, you ain't even like that man. Okay. <laughs> I think Jessica was saying that too in her mind. And we find out later that likely that's what she was like, girl, you doing the most. Okay. I would have believed you, but you out here like, oh, poor Ralph. You know. At least she wasn't like, it should have been me (laughs) doing the absolute most. She was trying to find that balance, but it was terrible, but that was on purpose. So the next scene, we're at the Garrison house. So this is the professor and his wife. And Rita tells Drew that Ralph was found stabbed to death at the lumber yard. And Drew is like, I don't think I knew him. And she's like, his wife is in your class. And he's like, oh, Melissa Maddox. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, did you say we should probably send flowers or something? I don't, I don't know what the proper etiquette for that is. And so Drew, as Rita was going back in the house, Drew was like, did you say stabbed? Rita says, yes, he stabbed. With a pair of scissors, I think she said. And so Rita walks in the house and Drew then, he's sitting there reading his students' short stories. He pulls out Melissa's story, Dagger of Love, and he proceeds to burn it on his grill. And the next scene, (laughs) 
we're at the diner and Mort is questioning Hank. And he says, there's prints all over the gas can. Now he said, your prints all over the gas can. If we take you down to the station and take your prints, are we going to make a match? I'm like, wait, did you, didn't you just say you found his? Maybe he said we found prints all over the gas can. Maybe he didn't say we found your prints, but I heard we found your prints, but using context clues, maybe I was, I misheard. So basically Hank then is like, listen, I did not do, I did not kill Ralph, but I could tell you who did. I saw somebody come driving in Ralph's car and basically throw him out the trunk. (laughs) And more is like, who is this mysterious person? And he's like, Jeff Ogden from the paper. And so more is like, well, how do you know that? And he was like, cause I was there trying to burn down the business. <laughs> Mort was like, why didn't you report? No, I take that back. Mort was like, why didn't you report it? If you saw this, and he was like, how was I going to report? It? I was there burn, trying to burn down the business. I was committing a crime. I'm not going to call the police on myself. (laughs) I love it. At least he was like, I'm going to be real with you. I was out there trying to commit a crime. Even though the attempt, because he surely poured gasoline on that place. And but for that car coming up, because he had a lit match. And not for nothing, that could have caught the, if the gasoline had soaked enough and the fumes had come up, that that match would have caught that whole building on fire in and of itself without him even having to put the flame to the wood. So he, he was committing a felony. Okay. Even the attempt is a felony. Okay. So he's like, I'm not going to call the police on myself because I have no reason to be there, but to commit crime. So what? Sir? No. I got to call the police on myself. So the next scene, we're at Jessica's and she is on the phone talking to, I guess, her, most likely her editor or her publisher. I don't know who you speak to at this point in the book process, but she's like, okay, the manuscript is not going to be ready by Friday. I lost my typist, hopefully only temporarily. It was the death in the family. And, you know, I'm going to try to find another typist as soon as possible. I will update you once I've done that. So she hangs up because there's someone knocking on the door. It's Ben. He's there to, to question Jessica for an article to find out more about Melissa and, and that stuff. And Jessica is very serious, not only about her privacy, because she's still pissed about that article. Okay, because it's out there. You can't retract it. It's been read by everybody in town. So she's still pissed about that. And she's not about to give somebody else's business to a stranger because Ben is a stranger. Now, is she going to sit up in Loretta's beauty parlor, Information Central, as she calls it, and talk about, oh, girl, you know, Melissa out here, she talking about she a typist and she can't type. A what? Girl. Three to four pages in a whole working day. Okay. 
she talking about she fragile. She got a fragile disposition. Girl, I should, I'm not going to pay that girl real money. Are you serious? No, she better not ask me for a dime after that work, girl. Now, outside of Loretta's, <laughs> Jessica's like, I don't, I'm not saying anything about anybody, not to the media. Oh, Ben, you stupid. I can't believe you wasted your time coming over here and wasted my, my time and the air in this house to form your lips to say that you wanted to ask me questions about Melissa. Sir, if you don't get out of my house. (laughs) So Ben ends up getting a phone call at Jessica's because this is a small town and everybody knows where he's at. Apparently, the police went to the newspaper office and arrested Jeff for the murder of Ralph because, remember, Hank has told the sheriff, I saw Jeff dumping Ralph's dead body at the lumber yard. So the next scene, we are at the sheriff's office and Jeff is denying that he murdered anybody. Ben and Jessica then come in. Mort is like, we have an eyewitness of you with Ralph's dead body. So like, let's stop playing games. So Ben is like, I, I'm here. You can't speak to him without me and, or without an attorney. And Mort is like, I told him he could have an attorney and he said he didn't need one to speak with me. So mind your business. He ain't say that, but that's what he meant. And so Ben is like, well, I'm here in locals parenti. And Jessica's like, that means in place of a parent. And so he's like, uh, well, I'm Jeff's acting attorney. Sir, that's a crime. Okay. To hold yourself out, out as an, uh, an attorney when you're not? Sir, what? That's illegal. But okay, we're going to just, <laughs> maybe it's not in Maine. I'm sure it is in Maine. But <laughs> Okay. We're just going to move that along for the purposes of this show. Don't be out there pretending to be a lawyer. Okay. Even if you are in law school, even if you have passed the bar exam, if you have not been sworn into your state bar, don't be calling yourself an attorney. Okay. Don't do that. Cause that you could be arrested for it. That could be a crime. And if you haven't gotten your license and you want to get your license, uh, that's going to make it real difficult to impossible. So don't be out here lying about being an attorney. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. So he then wants to know what evidence Mort has against Jeff. And so he says that Jeff's fingerprints are all over the trunk of the victim's car where he, his dead body was. And removed from, we have, we know this from an eyewitness that Ralph was in this trunk that now has Jeff's fingerprints all over it. And Ben is like, that's all circumstantial, sir. That an eyewitness isn't circumstantial that he saw him with the dead body. Now, is it circumstantial that because he saw him with the dead body and relocating it, that he murdered him? Yes, that part is circumstantial. Okay, that, that part. But yeah, he, this eyewitness observed a felony. 
being committed. You moving a dead body. It's just not okay. Like it's not okay. So Mort then says, we also found a plastic bag in the suspect's car. And Ben says, well, you better have had a search warrant. Jessica then steps in and it says, Ben, stop interrupting the sheriff and let him finish what he's saying. So Mort says, uh, yeah, as to the plastic bag, he was like, what was I saying? Jessica says, you found a plastic bag. And Mort says, in the plastic garbage bag were bloody towels and a, a pair of scissors, which is likely the murder weapon. So Ben then asked if he could speak with Jeff privately. So they stepped to the side, Jessica and Mort step away. And Ben says to Jeff, if you give me the exclusive rights to your story, I'll hire the best lawyer in the county. And Jeff says, I have nothing to say because I didn't do anything. I'm like, he, he real stupid. There, there is a limit to you believing that even if he believes that Melissa killed her husband in self-defense. You are now under arrest. And by not saying anything, not telling the truth at this point, which you wanted to tell the truth from the beginning, you are just making this worse for yourself because the fact is they can prove at the very least that you moved a dead body. And then lied about that, okay? So it's not difficult for the police and subsequently the prosecutor who will have to try this case to prove that you had a crush on Melissa, that you invited her to your home. I'm sure in knowing Cabico, somebody saw her at his home. Okay. You then were seen, I'm sure at the house because at the, you had to have gone to the house to remove the body from the murder scene. So it is reasonable to believe that you murdered him and then moved the body to move to avoid his wife being suspected of it. But by doing so, you have put a bigger target on yourself. So Moore and Jessica are whispering on the other side. And Jessica says, is it just me? Or does it seem like Ralph was killed somewhere else and then brought to the lumber yard? And Mort says, that's how I'm reading it. Um, yeah, of course, because Hank said he, that body was dead. Like, <laughs> he was dead when he was removed from the trunk, meaning that he had to be killed someplace else. And there wasn't any blood under him. So he obviously wasn't stabbed there. So I don't, I don't. When this, ha when this scene happened, I didn't even think about it. But sitting here now, reviewing it of course he had to be killed someplace else Hank didn't see him being murdered and there was no blood under him so it's not like he was you know tied up in the trunk 
Jeff opened the trunk, stabbed him in the chest, and then threw, untied him and threw him out of the trunk, there would have been blood, A, in the trunk, which I don't think they found blood in Ralph's trunk, and B, that they would have found blood on the ground under him had, how did they think this was going to work? How did, this is what I mean, like, Melissa didn't have the sense God gave her and Jeff was so in love and enamored that he wasn't thinking straight either. There's not, if he was killed during a robbery of the lumber yard, he would have bled out at the lumber yard. There's no blood coming out. The blood has dried Okay, when she called and we saw the body, the blood was dried. So how did they think that was going to work? How did they think that was going to be believable? And I'm mad that the sheriff was like, when he reported it, he said that he was stabbed to death at the, um, at the lumber yard. But that's impossible because there wasn't any blood left to bleed out. Okay. We learned that in Murder Takes the Bus. A dead man doesn't bleed. Okay. So he had stopped bleeding because he was dead. Okay. And he died in his home. So there was no blood left that got into the vehicle or because all whatever blood was left got on them sheets, but it did not get in the trunk of the car because there was no, there was no one said anything about blood being in the trunk of Ralph's car, and there definitely wasn't any on the ground when they found him. And even if there was a little blood, there wasn't enough that you could say this was a crime scene. So yeah, this doctor that is uh, the county doctor because Seth is away and we'll find out a little bit later where Seth is. But more is like, that's how I'm reading it, that he was killed someplace else and then moved to the lumber yard. And he says that, I wish that Seth was here because the county guy is basically not good. And if the county coroner is saying that despite the lack of blood being at the lumber yard, that the murder occurred at the lumber yard, that he's a terrible coroner, okay? Like you need to get somebody from the state something because this is just basic. So anyway, so Jessica is like, I think you should question Melissa again. And he says, do you, Mort's like, do you know something? I don't know. And Jessica says, "Ah, it's just a hunch. And so Mort says, well, yeah, I think we can both, we should both take a crack at it um, because me and hysterical widows, I, I need backup with that. And Jessica says, you'll do fine. Just be gentle and low key. So the next scene, we're at the Maddox house. And of course he's not gentle or low key um, because he hates injustice, just like all of us do. And he is certain that Melissa has been lying to him 
and that she may be the murderer or have worked together with Jeff to murder her husband and make it look like a robbery gone wrong. So there, Mort is not getting anywhere with Melissa, who is like on some, what does is mean? You know <laughs> Some of you are not old enough to get that reference, but that's fine. So, <laughs> so she's being extremely difficult. She's respond, answering a question with a question. And so Jessica was like, yeah, I would like some herb tea. She's like, what? It's like, when we first got here, you asked us, if we would like some herb, does she mean herbal tea? <laughs> herb tea. Is that, is that weed tea? Is that, is that weed just in hot water? Like, is that, is that what she means by herb tea? Is that what that is? <laughs> anyway, so that Jessica's like, yeah, more, you would like one too, right? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm trying to question this lady. And Jessica is like trying to, give him the eye signal. Like we need to get her out of the room. Cause I want to show you something. So he finally gets it. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I would like some. So Melissa's like milk or lemon. And Jessica's like, just, you know, neither black is fine. So she walks out. Jessica brings Mort over to the desk and says, do you notice anything about this desk set? And it has the pen and the design on the pen and the holder are similar to the design on the scissors. And there happens to be a pair of scissors missing from this set. And Jessica says, it looks like the desk has been moved. So Mort kneels down. He's like, the carpet has recently been cleaned. It's probably still damp. And he's like, this must've been where Ralph was murdered. And I think they were, Jeff and Melissa worked together to, to murder him. So the next scene we have both Jeff and Melissa facing chairs, facing each other and Mort questioning both of them with Jessica in the background. And Mort is like, you know, was it self-defense? We know how, um, Ralph can get and, you know, did he walk into the house early and catch the two of you together? And Melissa's like, no, of course not. Jeff is like, don't say anything. Like I said, like he is just, oh God. Anyway, so Jessica says there has to be some explanation because the evidence is overwhelming. And so Melissa finally breaks and she says, we did move the body. And Jeff is like, Melissa, no. What? You're the one who wanted to tell the truth in the beginning. And that, I never want to see Jeff again. I never want to see Melissa again. I don't want to see Ben again either. They can, all of them trash. Okay, anyway, so. Melissa says that Ralph was dead when she arrived home and she panicked because she was afraid of this. So Jeff and I, now she done brought Jeff into this decision and I decided to move the body. And Jessica's like, why was Jeff there? And Melissa says, no, he wasn't there. I called him when I found Ralph dead. So Jeff says, so they asked Jeff, is that what happened? He finally says, yes, that's what exactly what happened. Mort doesn't believe him and has Floyd take Jeff back to the cells. 
He then turns to Melissa and says, if I believe you that Ralph was already dead when you came home from the writing class, you know, and she says, yes. And Jessica says, wait a second, you told me that the class was canceled. And Melissa says, correct, because Mr. Garrison was sick. So Jeff and I went to read a story. And Mort says, let me guess, in his bedroom? And Melissa says, yes, but I left because I knew Ralph was expected home soon from the lumberyard. And Mort says, well, was there time between when you left Jeff's and when you arrived home finding your husband dead? Was there enough time in between for Jeff to have killed your husband? And Melissa says, well, I did drive around some so I could clear my head. So I guess it's possible. And Jessica, like, does not believe this. Like, she, God, I hate Melissa. So the next scene, we're at the paper. And Ben and is talking to Jessica. And he says that Jeff was lovesick and that lady was using him. And he knew it. Well, Ben recognized it. And so Ben then receives an anonymous call, which in which he finds out that a lady saw Ralph at a bar, coming out of a bar at 9.30 p.m. the night of, that he was murdered. And the woman that he was with was Trudy. So the woman who had those, I got hit in the face sunglasses on, working at the diner, her. And the anonymous caller said that they got into a fight in the parking lot. It was actually an argument when we speak with Trudy. It was an argument, but there was a a physical situation later. So the sheriff goes to speak with Trudy. And she, he says, oh, so you two were having an affair. And she's like, no, it was more like a one night stand. He, after two drinks, he wanted to have sex, like on the first date. What, what type of girl did he think I was? So Jessica was like, Trudy, not to be rude, but you got a, you know, he got a whole wife, right? He married, you know, he's married. And Trudy was like, yeah, but I also knew he was seeing somebody else for months. And he had this whole sob story about how they just broke up. So I would feel sorry for him. And Jessica was like, who was he dating, right? Who was his girlfriend? And Trudy says, I don't know. And I didn't ask, okay? So Mort is like, uh, what about that black guy? So Trudy says that Ralph had, you know, romantic intentions, but she wasn't down for it, okay? She told him to take her home. So this was the argument in the parking lot. On the way to her house, they got a flat tire, which really didn't improve his mood. Once they got to the front of her house, he again tried to make a pass at her. She slapped him and he slapped her right back. At that point, she got out of the car and he took off. End of story. Now, nobody should be putting hands on anybody, right? Now, she it's possible that she slapped him to get him away from her or off of her. 
But I'm just going to say that when she, the way she said, I slapped him and he slapped me right back. I, I did giggle. That's terrible. I know. But the way she said that was just like, hey, whatever is whatever. Like, girl, what? Like, well, I did slap him and he slapped me right back. Like, it was nothing. I'm like, girl, that, that is concerning that you were like, hey, he just slapped me right back. So then he left and that was that. Like, the, the nonchalantness of it. I was like, oh, girl, <laughs> shoot. You just slapped me right back like that? But yeah, I did. I, mm, terrible, I know. But if you also did, before it set in that that neither one of them should have been slapping each other. But again, like I said, she, it is very possible because he is bigger than she is, right? We saw them flirting over the register. He is bigger than her. He also works in a lumber yard. So I feel like he's probably used to moving lumber and stuff like that and maybe more muscular than he appears, right? Stronger than he appears. So I, I'm guessing that he got fresh with her. Maybe he tried to kiss her. Maybe he got handsy. And so the only way that she could get him to stop was to slap him. So she may have been well within her rights, which I'm assuming that's what it was, well within her rights to smack him, to you know, protect herself and try to get out of this situation. But like the not, it was just the nonchalant way she described this whole scene that just threw me off. And then after it sunk in the actual seriousness of what she said, I was like, oh, that's, that's horrific. But at the time, at the time, I did giggle just a little bit. Sorry. Sorry. It's terrible. I know. But they shouldn't have let her, they shouldn't have let her say it like that. She should have been more upset about it. Then that would have signaled us that what she was saying, the seriousness of what she actually said. So anyway, so the next scene we're at Jessica's and she's typing with one finger, which I don't, what, okay. So I kind of understand why she, although is well able to type that and likely touch type as well, that because her left hand is out of commission, that it is difficult for her to have all five of her right fingers, right hand fingers on the typewriter. You know what I mean? So because she doesn't have both, she can't function with just the once. And that's why she's with the one finger. That's my assumption. So she's doing that when she then finds, looking through the papers that Melissa left, she finds a copy of Melissa's story, the one that she had given Jessica earlier, asking her to read it. So she takes the time to read this short story and she then takes it to Mort. So Mort reads it and we're then in this scene with Jessica and Mort and he's, he's like, this is a badly written story of a sensitive young woman with a goon for a husband 
having a steamy affair with her English professor, who in the end, the cultured professor gets into a dagger fight with the brutish husband, killing him and running off with the sensitive wife, right? And Mort says this is clearly about her English professor, Drew. And then Mort gets an epiphany. He says class was canceled. So Melissa sets up her alibi with Jeff, the snook. And while Garrison sneaks over to kill Ralph. So then Floyd walks in with Melissa because Jessica asked, no, or Mort wanted to speak with Melissa again after additional information had come up, right? About the story, right? He wants to question her about her story. And so when Floyd walks in, he has this distinctive looking umbrella and Jessica says, Floyd, where'd you get that umbrella? And he's like, oh, well, it was raining when I went to get Mrs. Maddox. And so she pulled this out the closet for me. And Jessica says, well, the last time I saw that umbrella, Drew Garrison had it. So Melissa is looking off to the side, looking guilty or whatever. So they... So Mort is like, you gonna tell me the truth about what, how did you get that umbrella? How was it in your house? So she's like, well, can I get a cup of coffee? I'd be like, no, you've been lying to me from the beginning. Get her some water, sit your behind down and tell me the truth. Or you gonna be sitting back there with lover boy in a second, okay? But he don't say that. They get her a cup of coffee, which does not have any coffee in it, okay? And she pretends to drink the empty cup from the empty cup. Anyway, so she said that Drew did it for me. Even though they never had a conversation, they were never in an actual relationship, nor did she have any real evidence that he would have killed her husband or that he would know that she wanted her husband dead so that she could be with somebody else. So more is like, how in the world do you, if you never had any conversation with Drew before, during, or after, how do you know he did this? And she was like, maybe because I saw his car pulling away from my house and I found his umbrella in next to Ralph's dead body. And she then goes on to say that Drew was in love with me despite never expressing it. When I tell you the delusions of this idiot girl. So Jessica says, well, how could you let everyone think it was Jeff then? And Melissa says, I never said it. I never said it was Jeff. He said, referring to Mort, he said Jeff killed Ralph. Girl, but you, when, when Mort asked you, Do you think Jeff had time to come to your house and murder your husband? You said, I guess so. Instead of at that point saying, well, I saw Drew Garrison's car pulling out from my driveway when I arrived home and I found his umbrella 
in my house next to my already dead husband. That would have been the time to say, you know when the time to say it would have been? The time to say that would have been when you found your husband dead. Would have been to call the police as Jeff asked you to do and say that you saw Drew Garrison's car driving away from your house. And when you entered your house, your husband lay dead on the ground. Now, my thing is they took fingerprints of the gas can. Did they not also take fingerprints from, or it would have been palm prints for actually, from the murder weapon? Like that would have ruled Jeff and Melissa out. You know what I mean? Because, well, it was also, it was a rough surface. It was a a rough surface. And I don't know what the state of DNA was in 1990 to say that they could have gotten skin. Well, no, I think they could do blood typing, but I don't know if they could have got skin cells off of that. I don't know how sensitive the technology was in 1990 to have tested the handle of the murder weapon. But anyway, the next scene, we're at the Garrison household and Drew says that he was home with a cold when it happened. And Rita says, I can vouch for him. Um, But the accusations are so laughable that I don't understand how we're even here. And Mort says, well, you did read to Drew. You did read Melissa's story. And he says, not only was it dreadfully written, that terrible, um, but she modeled her 2D character, two-dimensional character hero after me. Basically, she's delusional. She dreamed all of this up. There was never any relationship. I, she was a student. It, that was it. Rita then chimes in and says that this happens a lot with Drew students, that they um, basically fall in love with him because he's so intelligent and blah, blah, blah. And it does, his personality does something to the immature female mind. I'm like, girl, isn't that how you got him? Okay, we just gonna leave that out? Okay, cool. Because clearly he's older than you, ma'am. But actually, I don't think he's that much older. They might've been, he might've been a teaching assistant and she was a student. Because I don't think they're for real that far apart age-wise. But then Rita, instead of shutting her face, goes on to say, you know, it's not surprising that Melissa would have dreamed this up because she was married to a man who terrified her, who came home drunk and then put his greasy hands on her that totally repulsed her. So she lashed out, grabbing the nearest weapon, which were the scissors. And the way she retelling this is a little too accurate. Okay, (laughs) it's a little too familiar, if you will. And so Drew says, listen, I was at home sick. Uh, Rita gave me, well, no, I took some medication and went to sleep. It knocked me out. But Rita was nice enough to go out to get me some aspirin. 
And Jessica says, oh, did you take your own car? To which Rita says, of course. Drew, not knowing what the situation is, right, says, no, you didn't. Your car was in for repairs. Remember, honey? You must have taken mine. So Jessica says, oh, and it was raining too, so I'm sure you took an umbrella. And Mort says, it was you in Drew's car leaving the Maddox house. And you're the one who left the umbrella. But I don't understand why she would have killed Ralph. So Jessica says, remember that Ralph had just broken up with a woman. Perhaps someone who had free evenings while her husband was teaching class. Perhaps someone while he had free evenings while his wife was taking that class. And Rita says, that's ridiculous. And Jessica says, well, you gave yourself away. There's no way that you would have known that Ralph had soiled hands unless you had been there. Because remember, his hands got soiled or greasy, dirty from when he changed his flat tire on the side of the road. So the only time he, the only people who would have known that is Trudy and whoever murdered him. And then of course, uh, his wife who found him and, and Jeff who had to lug his body to the lumber yard. And so Drew says, you and Ralph Maddox, have you lost your mind? And Rita then turns and has, she has had it. Okay. She says, at least he didn't drop Latin phrases at the dinner table or whistle Mozart in the shower. He was a real man and he made me feel like a woman. She then proceeds to confess. She says that she had been having an affair with Ralph and that he called her that night to get back together. That Drew was in bed with one of his, quote, silly colds. And so she went over. When she got there, he was drunk. He was wet. He was dirty. And he thought he could just snap his fingers and it would be the same as it was before. He revealed that he had been with Trudy and she had turned him down. And at that point, Rita finally saw who Ralph really was. And she felt unclean. And then he put her, his filthy hands on her. And she just, she just blacked out. She doesn't even remember grabbing the scissors. So the next scene, we're at Jessica's and we find out that Seth is away, awaiting the birth of his grandchild because his daughter is expecting a baby. It was supposed to be any day now, but it could be another week. Now, we knew that Seth is a widower, right? He, his wife's name was Ruth and he lost her some years ago. And we learned that for the most part in the curse of the Danav, when we meet his brother, right? And they rekindle their relationship, but then the brother is murdered. So yeah. But at no point did we ever find out that Seth, before this, that Seth had children. I feel like he specifically said that him and Ruth weren't blessed with kids. 
And I think he said that in the curse of the Danav when he was talking to his brother, because his brother had two children. I think he had a son and a daughter, if I remember correctly. And Seth was like, Ruth and I were never blessed with kids because his brother ended up together with Seth's ex-fiance. Like they ran off and got married, the brother and the, the ex-girlfriend. But he eventually found Ruth and they, they made a happy life together. But I think he specifically said that he and Ruth never had children. So I'm wondering... Because obviously Seth, well, I can't say obviously, but yes, Seth comes back in this season. So I don't know if he was taping something else or like I said, recovering from something or, or whatnot that he wasn't in this episode, but they want to let you know that he's still with the show. But I'm like, they could have just said he was at a medical convention. I don't understand why the fictional daughter, but I think later on when he does leave the series, they say that he moves to another state to be with his daughter, son-in-law and their kids. So I'm guessing they're setting that up now by telling us this out of the blue. So Jessica and Ben have a conversation and Ben is like, so you're saying that, so Basically, Melissa fantasized the whole Drew thing. And Jessica says, compared to her husband, Drew was a dream lover, right? Because it was completely imagined. So he could be this perfect person in her mind because she never actually had to deal with the day to day, right? And the fact is, Drew didn't even really think about her other than the fact that she was a student He never had any romantic thoughts about her, period. And Ben said, well, I knew the killer was a woman. I just didn't know which woman. And so then he offers Jessica a job writing for the paper two to three times a week while he waits for a new writer. And Jessica is like, what happened to Jeff? So apparently Jeff has gone off to the big city to heal basically this whole interaction with Melissa really had him messed up and Ben is like this will be good for him it'll expose him to you know the real world and you know other people and help him to not be as naive as he was in this situation so Jessica is like yeah well that's great I guess but no thank you journalism is your thing And Ben is like, well, there are other great writers who started as newspapermen. And he names them off. It was Hemingway, somebody, and Ben Heck. I forget who the second one was, sorry. And Jessica is like, is this the one argument that you'll let me win, please? And so they, I guess he is like, yeah, okay. And they laugh and they toast their tea cups. And that's the end. So, yeah. I don't know. Like, this is definitely an episode that I have watched multiple times. And every time, Melissa is still as annoying as the first time I've watched it. I don't know why I put myself through this, but 
She's not, she's in it a lot, but not, she's not annoying enough for me not to still get some entertainment out of this episode. So yeah. Okay. So we ended up having two unsatisfied, dissatisfied wives, right? So we had Melissa who was not stepping out on her husband. Her husband was stepping out on her and also treating her terribly. I'm like, if you're going to be out here cheating and you're going to be treating me terribly, like honestly, and I can't be out here spending money like it's water. Okay. They're not living lavishly. She's not dripping in jewels and designers. Why are you even married to this man? Girl, get on government assistance. (laughs) They'll send you to school. You can get you a, a whole degree on the government. All right. And do something better with your life. But then on the other side, the flip side of this, you had Rita who was stepping out on her husband and her husband was insufferable for other reasons. He was just very cerebral. But my thing is, did you not know? Now, Melissa knew her husband was a louse. Okay. And she was just resigned to the fact that this was her life. Okay for financial security reasons. Now, I promise you, if that lumber yard had burnt down, homegirl would have filed for divorce expeditiously, okay? Like not even a second thought. But she needed, she didn't have the skills to support herself. So she was resigned to the fact that this was her life. To the point that she, I'm sure she had to know that her husband was stepping out, maybe not with who, but he had like a girlfriend. He wasn't just stepping out with any and everybody. He had a whole girlfriend, okay? I don't think she cared. I I honestly don't think she cared, but she at least took her vow serious enough to not, or unless she just didn't like Jeff. You know, if if the right person came along, maybe she would have stepped out too. But you have Rita who steps out with this brutish man who I'm sure she's like, he made me feel like a woman. He there. Yeah. There's some therapy that that woman needed. Rita needed some therapy because the way he treated his wife, he, and the way he treated Trudy, he ain't treat you no better. And if you think that him treating you that way is how a woman should be treated, girl, there is some deep rooted issues that you got that you need addressed. Maybe you'll get those addressed in your 20 to life in prison. Or if you don't, maybe you'll get a girlfriend and you can work that out that way. Okay. And then you have Drew who just has, is similar to Melissa in having a fragile disposition. He gets sick easily and I'm like, did y'all not, did Rita and Drew not date before they got married? How did you not know he was like this? And if he was this insufferable, because he didn't change, he didn't become more cultured, you know, as y'all, the longer you've been married. So like, you, you didn't notice this before? Or have you just been stepping out for a good portion of time? Like, this is working for me, you know. 
he he makes whatever money he makes. I don't know if Rita work. So maybe he's paying, she's financially secure with him and she has her man on the side. But I'm like, your man on the side is terrible. And it, the standards are in hell in this town, okay? A mess. So anyway, that's that on that, okay? So next week, we will be talking about see you in court, baby. <laughs> that is a Dennis Stanton episode. Um, Love wins in the end. Okay, so there's that. And it's a Dennis Stanton episode. So there, it'll be all right. We'll get through it. It'll be all right. It's not the best Dennis Stanton episode, but it's not the worst either. So it'll be a good time. Anyway, so until next time, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook Meta at the Fletcher Files Pod on Facebook Meta. And of course, in the description box is the link to my Patreon. If you're not on it, get into it. What are you waiting for? Uh, The content of it all. All right, at the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. So until next time, promise me you will have an amazing week and I will do the same. And also as I am taping this right around the time of Veterans Day. Thank you to our veterans near and far for your service. I know from the family members that I have who have served, it is not an easy task that you go into. So thank you for your service. And until next time, have an amazing, amazing week. And I promise I will do the same. Until then, bye.